Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Okay, and here we are with yet another edition with a terrific children's author and illustrator, Laurie Smollett-Katsera. Did I get it right, Laurie? You did. Hi, everyone. Hi, it's a pleasure to have you. I'm Mel Rosenberg with the uh, Children's Book Channel of the New Books Network, and uh, it's great to have you as a guest, and we are celebrating we're celebrating your brand new book, which just launched a few months ago. And why don't you show everybody how beautiful it is? Oh, thank you. Thank you, Mel. It's a, it's a treasure of a book, ah, and it's called Maya's Treasure. Yes. So let's start with a few words about the book, and then we'll talk about your life and craft and magic. Sure. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Well, I mean, it's a pleasure to be there. You're, you're actually in your home in northern Long Island. Yes, um, I'm on the north shore of Long Island. Yeah. N- near Stony Brook somewhere? Just west of Stony Brook. Yep, exactly. That's a nice place to be. So you're there and I'm over here in Israel. There you but, go. But it's just like we're sitting together. I love it. <laughs> I love it too. Great to meet you. So start with the book. Okay, what can I tell you? What would you like to know? Um, how you wrote it, why you wrote it, who you wrote it about, uh, how you found the publisher, uh, how you illustrated, why you illustrated it, and every other thing you want to talk about. Every other and, thing. And I will interrupt you now and then because that's my job. Oh, good. I look forward to it. Well, <coughs> the idea came to me out of, out of necessity because I was uh, mourning the loss of a very, very dear friend. And I, there was no funeral for a number of reasons. And I just didn't know what to do with my grief. And all of a sudden, um, the words came to me, the the beginning words. And I just started uh, jotting them down. And, you know, I know there are some writers that experience this where you're just sort of sitting there and channeled, you know, you're just kind of putting everything down. And the first draft came to me very quickly and it was very helpful to me. Um, And uh, the story of Maya finding purpose and beauty, beauty and purpose in things that most people deem damaged that was my friend. She found beauty in everything. And my husband and I would spend so much time with her and her husband. It was like every day was another lesson, even though, you know, it was just being with wonderful spirits. So that's how the story came about. And um, I am a member of the 12 by 12 uh, writing challenge community. And I brought the first draft to the forum and, and asked for critiques. And I got some wonderful feedback. Um, people, some of the 
authors told me they they had tears in their eyes when they read it. So I felt like I I got to the heart of the story, which hold was, on. This is the first draft. The first draft. It needed a lot of work. I mean, I did the first draft, I think. in usually when I see a first draft and I have tears in my eyes, it's for different reasons. <laughs> Well, there, there was a lot of arc building that needed to go on, but I think I hit the the nerve. I think I hit the nerve of the book from the beginning, and that was helpful to me because I felt like at least I was getting that across. And they, through the next, I'd say two or three years, I then joined a critique group, and they also helped me enormously. That's really when I got to hone in and and polish it up and and you know working on an arc where there there there's more tension and things are happening that I had to build up I had the beginning I had the end and some vague part of the middle so the middle really had to be built up yeah um and then uh, I guess after about a year or two, I started doing some sketches. I wasn't quite sure, you know, what medium I was going to use. And I started out using a medium that really didn't fit for me. And I had done, I had illustrated a picture book way back in 94 uh, in pastel called Ravida and the Land of Unknown Shadows. And I started thinking about it. And although I thought watercolor was going to be the way to go for this book, it turned out pastel was perfect. So I started working in pastel and uh, I started doing sketches. I would edit the book and then edit the sketches and edit the sketches to go with the story. And every time I would adjust one, the other one would, that was actually very helpful because I, it's almost like I had a storyboard that was changing and growing as the story got stronger. Mm -hmm. um, and then so one second before, before we continue, yes, our, our audience doesn't really know the story. So the story is about this uh, young girl and her, her grandmother and continue. The story is about a young girl, Maya and her younger sister, Alita, who, uh, work with their grandmother collecting shells to make jewelry and objects to sell to the villagers of their island. And their grandmother sits down with Alita and makes her a little necklace and explains that even a nub of a shell can be quite beautiful. You just have to find the magic. And those words stayed with Alita I'm sorry, those words stayed with Maya uh, as she grew older and her grandmother passed away. And when she and her sister are collecting shells and her sister is tossing the ugly ones back, she realizes that she must find purpose in those shells. And she ends up creating something that ends up saving her village. Mm -hmm. so, we're, we're, we're allowed here to, uh, to give away the... Uh... Oh, we are? The punch. Yes, of course. It's a children's book. Well, um, she creates, she tries to create a number of things and, uh, and all of them fail. And just by accident, she holds up um, a strand of shells she has tied to a uh, string or rope. And 
It's not working as a necklace. It's not working as a bracelet. It's not working anywhere. But when she holds it up, the wind catches it and it makes the sound. And then she realizes, ah, I can make chimes. So she made chimes out of these ugly shells and hung them up outside of her window. And she dreamt of her grandmother and um, she was dreaming of her grandmother and the dream sort of got very tumultuous and messy and she's hearing these sounds and she wakes up and hears the chimes going crazy outside of her window and sees a storm approaching. So she gets up with her sister and cautions everyone and they, they run to safety. And then everyone in, in the village ends up buying chimes from her to protect them and to notify them when another storm comes through. So it's a story about, um, again, finding beauty. It's a story about intergenerational conversations, the, the, the wonderful gifts that our parents and grandparents have shared with us that help mold us into the spirits that we are. Yes, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful book with so many levels. Um, this is a, this is a podcast, but we have people video, so uh, you're welcome to show a few of the spectacular double spreads that you've done. Sure. And for those of you who are on the NBN podcast, I'm sorry, you'll just have to run and buy this beautiful book, and you should. It's so full of of beauty and uh, can we say poignancy? I don't know. I just said it. That's a lovely word. So here is one of the first spreads that shows where Maya and Alita live. Yes, it's so beautiful. Could you read also the uh, first uh, verse? It's so gorgeous. Maya and Alita, let me move this over here. Maya and Alita live by the sea where the tide rippled silver and the ocean floor offered its treasures by the light of the waning moon. And this comes back in the end, doesn't it? It does, full so, circle. So show us the last page. Laurie, it's such a lovely book. Thank you very much. And here's the last one. You can see very closely there are chimes hanging mm -hmm. from the tree outside their window. And it says, and on balmy evenings, they chimed softly when the tide rippled silver and the ocean floor offered its treasures by the light of the waning moon. So I know I shouldn't be asking this, but what, what, where did you get the idea for this village and the shells and the, and the names of the characters? I'm just, I'm just too curious to, to pass on this. I, uh, I grew up on the beach. I mean, it, living on Long Island... Um, uh, as a child, we spent summers at Gilgo Beach and sometimes at Rockaway. I mean, we had a choice of beautiful beaches. And when I met my husband, we would we bought a 28 foot cabin cruiser, an old classic 1950 something. And then we started cruising around Long Island to Shelter Island and Fire Island and all the beaches all the way up to Newport and Martha's Vineyard. And um, 
So we're both water signs. I think that has something to do with it. And so I love being by the ocean and it seemed like a wonderful location to create a story around because I knew it very well. And, you know, we've traveled to islands down in the Virgin Islands and, you know, that's just in my heart. So I think that's where that came from. And, you know, we, my husband and I own a dinner cruise boat now. And uh, when we were doing uh, term charters, meaning overnight cruises, we took this boat, it's an 85 foot boat, um, down to Florida through the Intracoastal Waterway, which was about a two week trip, a most amazing trip. And then got on a freighter down in Florida and took that vessel down to the Virgin Islands. So we were down there for a winter doing charters and, you know, just exploring the area. And and I can't even tell you how many beaches and shells I collected down there and on the way down. Um, So I have a lot of uh, memories of that. And I think I brought those into the illustrations. Terrific. Um, And uh, does your boat have a piano? It does not, but we hire jazz uh, trios, and we can hire a piano. So I'm, when I'm, home, I'm, I'm sending, play. I'm sending you my CV as we speak. Uh, wonderful. Okay, so, <laughs> so um, that's great. So um, I guess it started at the beginning of your life. What kind of kid were you? Uh, what draws you to write uh, stories for young children, uh, and of course your drawing career? Um, what kind of kid was I? I was. Uh, my mother was an artist. Uh, she was a painter. She was a vocalist in big bands before I was born. And she. Come on. Yeah, yeah. She worked with, uh, she had a contract with Capitol Records. I'll send Come you. Come on. Yeah, yeah. I'll send you some stuff. Um, but she was a very creative human being. Her, her name, her name? Her stage name was Manel Allen. A-L-L-E-N. And so she sang with the Sam Donahue band. And uh, you know him? Are you familiar? Well, I'm familiar. I can't uh, sing anything right off bat, but. (laughs) I'll send you a couple of clips. Yeah. So by the time she had my brother and myself, she was just filled with all this wonderful creative energy and nowhere to put it. I would say she was probably better as a creative person than a mother sometimes because she would forget things for us, but she would get lost. She made a dark room in the closet of our apartment and she would be in there for days. You know, my brother and I learned to cook at four, you know, we took care of ourselves. So I I learned from somebody that just whenever something struck, she was out there doing it. And I, I think I have the same gene. So I would, you know, just when she saw I had, you know, well, what she called talent, um, she would buy me all these art supplies and got me going. And so I drew, that was my thing. I thought I was going to become an artist and an illustrator when I grew up, but that was what I did. I drew, I loved theater. Um, I loved acting in school. I was horrible in math. I, I must have some sort of disconnect with certain, you know, subjects, but I always did like 
really well in, in math and drama. I'm sorry, acting, uh, art and drama. Those were the things that really worked for me. So um, high school was wonderful. Junior high was horrible. I was tormented and I stopped going. I cut a lot. And ironically, um, my aunt lived in Manhattan. So I would take the train into the city at a young age. A lot of kids couldn't imagine this, but at 10, I was going into the city uh, by myself. Um, Wow. Because we lived in Queens. So from Queens to the city was like, you know, a 30 minute, you know, train ride. Um, But by the time I got into junior high school and I was tortured, I I got my best friend and said, "We're, we're taking the day off. And I would take her into the city. We would get on the Staten Island Ferry and spend the entire day going back and forth from New York to Staten Island. And I, I often tell my husband, I probably had enough hours on the water to get my license by the time I was 14, you know? Um, so the principal actually called me in. I think it was about a month before we were graduating and said, you you have to be here for the next 30 days. Otherwise you're going to be here for the next 30 years, you know? Uh, so that was torture. That was probably the worst 30 days of my life, but I did get through and got into high school and, and then got into Queens college and met some amazing um, professors there. I thought I was going to be a fashion illustrator when I got there. And the first professor I had, Marvin Bielek, who is a children's book illustrator, an amazing award-winning, Caldecott-winning illustrator, Mm -hmm. so generous with his time, took me under his wing and said, you don't want to be a fashion illustrator. You want to be a picture book artist. Wow. And that was, that's where it went from. Did that that resonate with your five-year-old self somehow? I have this theory, you know. What is the theory? That we write picture books uh, as a... um, way of soothing our issues with ourselves at that age. You, you know, yeah, I understand what you're saying. I we, think we, we talk to our five-year-old self through our picture books. That, that's what I think. I remember spending hours in the ocean by myself, making up stories and singing them and rhyming and putting all the words together. And I would be in there for hours, just whatever they were. And every once in a while, I'll remember a line. And I I think that's why I love rhyming so much now, because I was doing it all the time while I was, you know, jumping up and down in these waves. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I never gave myself the credit that I was a potentially going to that I would potentially be a writer. I never allowed myself to think that way, even though I wrote things in in school that my teachers gave me some really good feedback on. But I I just felt like no, that no. Um, and it wasn't until well, it wasn't until we got the boat and we took it down to the intracoastal that I started keeping a journal on this trip and that grew into memoir and that took me to a workshop in Manhattan. I went to Media Bistro and took memoir for two workshops. And then I saw that they had, you know, children's book and middle grade classes. And I had started working on a middle grade story. So I took that and then I ended up getting the middle grade book published. 
which led me to 12 by 12. And then once I joined Julie's 12 by 12 challenge, then my, my writing really started to, you know, take shape. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Julie Hedlund, who's uh, been on the show and is terrific. Yes. Uh, the 12 by 12 just enables writers to, to create in, a, in an environment. Uh, It's and, wonderful, yeah. And um, I, I think that for some people, that's what's missing. You know, you stay at home and you write and you write and you write. You don't feel this uh, camaraderie of what she provides. Yes. I think the, the webinars... are so important and are really great for giving you some guidelines to work with and helping you shape your work in a uh, stronger sense. So it's wonderful to be able to watch these webinars, see what other authors and author illustrators are doing, see what editors are asking for, what agents are asking for. It's just, it's just a chock full of knowledge. There, there's so much. And it made all the difference because I wrote Maya's Treasure before I joined. And then once I joined, I was like on a path to publication. And that's exactly, I would not have done it without joining. So one second, your first published book was The Middle Grade. The first published book that I wrote in Illustrate Illustrated was Misadventures of a Magician's Son. Yes. Okay. And uh, what year was that? that? That came out in 2020, right in the middle of the COVID. So, so uh, all, of, all of the years in between, you were drawing and writing, but you were basically running a, uh, a um, love boat. A, a, <laughs> a dinner cruise boat. Well, um, the I really... love boat. <laughs> I'm sad to say I stopped... writing and illustrating once the business took off. I was an art director, a freelance graphic designer from the time I got out of college until the time we purchased this boat and started renovating it in 1997. So from 97, it was full time. From that point on, we mm-hmm. spent three years renovating and then we jumped in and started operating. And I, was, I had to design the interior. I, I had to find a chef. We created menus. Then we were working with charter specialists and then dealing with clients. And I was basically, I went from being an art director to a, a, uh, a cruise director. Coordinator. Yeah, exactly. Um, so somewhere around the winters we had off because we stopped going to Florida in the winters. Um, and the winters, I, I really started to feel like There was one particular winter where I just felt once the season stopped, I had such a huge hole in me. I can't even describe it. And I was trying to share my feelings with a friend. And she said, I think you need to get back into your creative self. And I, I can't thank her for that because I was so misdirected at that point. I, I was confused and I didn't know why I was feeling this way. But she was absolutely right. And it was... Almost like the next night, my husband and I went to see a movie. It was the first Daniel Craig 007 film. And we're sitting there watching the credits at the very beginning. And the credits had these humongous playing cards that took up the screen. And I had one of these aha moments. I'm looking at the King of Hearts and I'm going, oh, 
that's the story. And the next day I sat down and started writing a story about a boy who is gifted a, an animated a deck of cards that his father has left him, who was a magician. And these cards come to life. The Hart family guides him through a very difficult time without his father, now in a new home. And that whole thing, I just sat down every day and started writing. I did not know what a pantser was. I did not know that's what I was. And I could not wait to see where this story would go. Every day I sat, it was like magic. Every day I sat down and ended up writing another chapter. Um, it was, again, channeling, as I explained before. That seems to happen to me a lot. Uh, so, yeah. So then I started to pick out my time. Mm -hmm. I would devote the summers to, you know, spring and summer to the boat. The winter was mine. And um, that has worked out great. Wonderful. I've, I've written like five or six stories. My agent is pitching two of them right now. Incredible. Um, so and, so, so let, let's, uh, let's talk about the agent and the process because my uh, readers, readers, my uh, followers, not followers, uh, my um, clientele, no, my community, my customers, no, my listeners. You're, yeah. you're, you're, my yeah, listeners. Your yeah. listeners. There you yes. Go. Should, um, should know by now that you are one out of 5,000 writers, illustrators who get book deals. Um, and uh, that is quite remarkable. So um, to the extent that you can tell us the magic of your success, we are eager to hear. Oh, well, um, I write what I love to write. And um, I don't put myself in a specific category because I love to write heartfelt stories, but I also love really silly stuff. So I'm, I'm, I have one submission that's out that's very heartfelt and one that's about boogers and uh, it's rhyme. And, you know, it's the complete antithesis of the other book. So I, I feel like um, if something comes to me, I want to play with it and see where it goes. Now, so, I, so, you, so you've written a book called Sugar the Booger. Well, <laughs> okay, Laurie, Laurie, we're not there yet. I want you to tell us yeah. how you found your agent, how you found your publishers. Well, it all kind of happened at the same moment. I was sending out Maya. Um, I had sent Maya out in after one last revision that I thought really helped. Just change of a little word. I found a uh, publisher that I know did quality printing of books, a traditional publisher, Peter Pauper Press. And they were one of the few publishing houses that wanted a dummy. So this is an actual dummy. They didn't want a PDF file. They wanted me to mail them the dummy with the manuscript. So this is a dummy. It shows sketches throughout with all the text and just a few finished illustrations. Let's see. Talk, about, talk about old, old school. Old school. Exactly. Uh, so I mailed it off in May um, and I kept searching for an agent. So I was doing both. And I guess I got involved in the summer and um, 
I reached out to this one agent who sent my work to her colleague. I had done another project and she wanted to see more and she sent it to her colleague. And at the same time I was dealing with them, I got an email from Peter Pauper telling me that if the book was still available, this was September, October, we would love to publish it. So then I reached back out to the agent and said, look, my, my critique partners were like, grabbed me by the, by the ears and said, you contact every agent that you have just reached out to and tell them you have a book deal. you you have an offer of publication and, and see who bites. And the, the agent that sent me to her colleague called me right away and we signed that day. And then we signed the book contract like the following week. So it just happened to work out that way. Incredible. You know? Who, who's yeah. the agent? His name is, and there, well, there's another side to this now. Um, mm-hmm. His, his name is uh, Matt Belford at Tobias. Mm-hmm. And he has just informed me <laughs> that he is um, leaving to become an editor. Um, so I might good, be good, good for him, Oive, for us. Yeah, yeah. I know, uh, because I have these two projects that he was subbing and wondering how this was going to work. He did actually just email me a couple of agents that he had spoken to that are very interested in looking at my work. So here we are. Mm-hmm. It happens to the best of us. Mm-hmm. And um, in the meantime, I'm I'm doing a book tour for Maya. I'm going to um, Theodore Books on Saturday. Um, and doing the first in-house book event. And I have a a lovely uh, publicist that I hired Um, once the book came out. Since it was delayed, I felt like I needed some help getting it out there. And she's amazing. She's got me booked for like three or four events at the moment. Laurie, shouldn't the publishers be doing this? Not all of them do. They have a limit to what they can do. Um, I wish I, you know, I wish that weren't the case, but um, even the top it, it five is. companies, it, yeah, they, they do very little and, you know, it's a learning experience and I'm okay. Once I get through this one, I will know everything I need to know for the next one. You know, uh, everything is a learning experience. That's how I look at it. Um, yeah, it would be wonderful if they did that. And I guess when I'm selling thousands of copies, they'll probably be more apt to uh, jump in, right? Well, to the extent that I can help you, it is really a, a, such an incredible book on so many levels. And the artwork is, is beautiful. And the, the text is so lyrical and, and flowing. And, and um, I really, really enjoyed reading it. And um, I hope it will be a success, and uh, and I'm uh, confident that it will. Um, with this, uh, there's a couple more things here. You didn't talk about your father. You talked about your mom. Uh, my father was a writer. He Mr. Act- Mr. Smollett. Mr. Ed Smollett. He and my mother wrote music together. They he he kind of did PR for this club down in Greenwich Village called the Bohemia, and like I said, my mom kind of morphed from painting to photography to writing, and they wrote music that Ben Webster and 
I'm trying to remember, I can't, he slips my mind, but uh, Dexter Gordon, they recorded for the Bohemia. It's called At the Bohemia. And I know, I know. And I'm going through these old albums and I found a letter from Walter Winchell when my father was first starting out as a writer. Mm-hmm. And uh, it came from it came from him to his secretary and said, you know, I like the kids work, you know, have them do more. And uh, I, I have to post this on Facebook because it, I mean, it's all yellowed. It's like a million years old, but mm-hmm. it's uh, it's wonderful. He became a uh, an editor at Funk and Wagnall. Uh, you know, encyclopedias back when encyclopedias were all the rage. I still have a few of them. <laughs> right? Yeah. From like 1954, you know. Um, so he unfortunately passed away when I was six. So I, but my memories of him are vivid. And, you know, he remained living in Greenwich Village. And we moved to Queens when I was very young. And, uh, but I think that's why the memories are so vivid because they, I, I had two separate homes, two separate groups of friends, two separate vibes. You know, the vibe in Greenwich Village was, I remember the sound of the cars driving over the cobblestone. You know, that was my morning happy sound. And in Queens, it was, more like birds chirping outside the window or kids screaming because they didn't want to put their shoes on or something, you know, their kid sneakers, something like that. It was two completely different worlds. Yeah. So, uh, Laurie, uh, I think that also the, uh, the memory of your father is somehow woven into the story here somehow, if not subliminally, um, just given the fact that you didn't mention him till now and that you were close to him and that he did leave, leave you a legacy. He did. I wish he knew. I think he was the first person that I drew with because he would draw these cats, two circles and a little squiggly tail and pointy ears. And I would write him letters and he would write me letters and I would try to draw the cat too. And he would draw them and then I would draw them. So that was our, our little thing, you know? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it's all in there. I mean, I, I think writing heartfelt stories, mm-hmm. uh, Misadventures of a Magician's Son is about a boy who lost his father and is trying to navigate his way in a new place. And that's absolutely me. So, and he comes to him in dreams and there are many items, he gets a desk, from his father that he goes through and then finds the cards. I, I had a piece of furniture in my bedroom that had all these little mosaic pieces on top that I would go and whisper to thinking that he could hear me. And Alex in, in the story puts his head down on the desk and, and asks his father if he can hear him, you know? So I, I'm sure it's in most of my writing, you know? That's incredible. Is there anything I haven't asked you? Um, I have a three-legged dog. I've had okay. pets all my life. Um, rescue dog. I love rescuing animals. Now, what's a rescue dog? Because a rescue dog, 
could be a dog you rescued, and it could be a dog that rescues other dogs. Or it could be a dog that rescues us, which, you know, we have always had rescue dogs, dogs that our first dog together, Nick and I came up and licked his hand in the middle of Jamaica, Queens. He was homeless and was sick as a sick little boy. And we brought him home. And then when he passed away, it took a number of years before we could bring ourselves to open our hearts again. But I found a dog at the animal shelter that kind of resembled Smokey, um, but was very different. Um, and as it turns out, they're all very well behaved, by the way, when you see them. And then they slowly start to show themselves. Um, and he was with us for 10 years and he he was an amazing dog. Um, a little wiggy, but amazing. He was a Belgian shepherd mix. So if you don't give them a job, they will find one. And I was his like little sheep. You know, he would follow me around and make sure nobody came close. And yeah, so we had our work cut out for us. And and now I got an email about Abby. Abby was, uh, I don't want to go into it, but she ended up having to have her leg removed because it had gotten infected from all the shrapnel that they found in her from target practice. That's what she was used for down in Alabama. But these wonderful people down in Alabama found her and brought her up here. And I got an email and we went to see her. And this dog, she is amazing. She runs faster than a speeding bullet. Yeah. She has no idea she's missing a leg. She just runs and hops. Occasionally she falls, but uh, she gets right back up. So she's an inspiration to me, you know? So yes, rescue dogs. I'm always, I'm always pro finding homes for animals that are in shelters and things. Incredible. So Lori, we're, uh, I'm going to say your name again, Lori Smollett, Kutsera. Very good. Excellent. This, time, this, this time without prompts. Uh, <laughs> And it's been great having you on NBN. So this is Mel Rosenberg for the Children's Literature Channel of the New Books Network. And thank you very much. We are celebrating your new wonderful book that you wrote and illustrated, Maya's Treasure. Yes. Thanks thank so you, much Matt. for being on the show. It was my pleasure. And, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll take the jazz off, uh, yeah, yeah. off screen and we'll talk another time. Yeah, absolutely. I want to hear more of your music. That Thank will be you. that will be an, on another occasion. Okay. Take care, dear. It's been wonderful. You have a lot of books to write, by the way. Oh. Thank you. I hope so. <laughs> bye bye, dear.